Hello and welcome to Plattress. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Dark Needs at Night's Edge by Cressley Cole. So this was published in 2008 and is number four in the Immortals After Dark series. I guess four and a half. No, it's four with a one half in the, in the beginning. So yes. If you are a longtime listener, you know Lane does not like to start in the middle of a series. But I made the executive decision that we were going to talk about one book and one book only from Immortals After Dark, and it was going to be this one. And so here I'm going to go ahead and insert a clip of Meg explaining to me everything I felt like I needed to know after getting 50% into this book and being lost as hell. If you have already read Immortals After Dark and you just want to hear what we think about this one, you can jump forward about 20 minutes. Oh, just a little background about <laughs> why the heck this book was recommended when Lane cannot stand reading anything that's not the first in a series. So this is in the series of, called Immortals After Dark. <laughs> and <laughs> I keep calling it His Dark Materials. Which is not. <laughs> not that series. So, way back in October of 2021, I was invited to join a read-along um, by uh, Natalie, who actually co-hosted one of our episodes with us, the one on um, one of Julianne Long's books. She is Kiss and Let Me Tell You on Instagram and has an excellent Etsy shop. Yes. And if you are still interested in our one-handed reads boxes, we have a few left. You can find them on her Etsy shop. We'll link to it. Okay. So way back in October, I was invited to join the series. I read the first book and I was like, this is um, really intense and I did not love it. But I was committed to at least trying a few books. When there are... 18 in the series yeah 18 or 19 there are a lot of books in the series so I basically spent four solid because I read one book a week some weeks two books uh so I read four solid months of reading this whole series so I feel very invested in the lore at this point and as you guys know I hate starting in the middle largely yes. because I don't like feeling like there's stuff I'm missing out on in terms of like the world building, especially with these fantasy series. Um, and I will totally admit the first 25% of this book was really hard for me. Yeah. With a lot of passing references to stuff I was just missing out on and some of the author's choices, which we will get into when we review the book. Yes. And I will be honest, there are some things that Lane did miss out on. There are other things that she did not miss out on because of the way Cressley Cole, the author, does the world building. You kind of get thrown into the middle of it and you have to figure it out on your own. I will say the beginning of the book has like a chapter from the book of the the book of lore, which Lane probably skipped, that does have some world building in it. Like it talks about what Valkyries are and it talks about what Oh, God, yeah, I did not read that. I'm not reading, like, a glossary before I've read the book. Well, if you read it... That's like asking me to read the Cimmerillion before I read Lord of the Rings, and I've never read any of those. Um, that's, the Cimmerillion is, like, 10,000 pages long. 
And this glossary is like four pages long. So I stand by what I said. Well, I'm just saying you would be less lost if you had read through the glossary. I will, however, warn you, if you decide to read Immortals After Dark and you read the glossary, because there is a glossary before every book, it will sometimes spoil you for what's going to happen in the book. Well, then I'm definitely not reading it. What are you talking about? This one wouldn't spoil you. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my gosh. Um... Anyway, so basically, this is the world of uh, Immortals After Dark. It's a world in which there are immortal beings that live in the same world as humans. So it's a contemporary paranormal romance. And there are lots of different kinds of immortal beings. When this book begins, it's, a, it's the time there's something starting that's called the accession. And the accession is a time when fate throws people together and a lot of people find their mates, but there's also like a big war between all the immortals because they don't die and they keep producing more of them because they can have kids. And so, you know, they need to kill some of them off every now and then. So apparently fate, like every 300 years or so, has like a big battle called the accession. Okay, so I am... Full disclosure, we're recording this before I finish the book because I needed clarification from Meg. And I have picked up on but none of that. That's because you skipped the glossary. <laughs> Again, I shouldn't have to read the fucking glossary. <laughs> I skipped the family tree at the beginning of Sinster novels too. Really shouldn't skip that. But So the first book, which is a novella, is about Nikolai Roth and Mist the Valkyrie. Okay. And this is a novella, and her world building isn't super firm in this book yet. So there are some things that happen in this book that aren't, don't continue throughout the series. But basically, Nikolai is a forebearer vampire, which means that he was turned. So he was not born. He's not a natural-born vampire. And um, all that happened like 300 years before the book is set. Right. This book or the novella? All of the books in the series are set in present day. Present day. In quotation marks, right? Well, they have flip phones. It's clearly like 1999. Yeah, whenever this book was published. 2002, 2004. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, in in that um, novella... Um, Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to explain the forebearers. As you may have heard by the name, they do not drink from the vein. So they don't drink from living humans and they don't drink to kill. Okay. So they're a forebear from drinking blood from humans. Okay. Okay. Because their prince, the forebearer king, um, doesn't, he doesn't think that's good. Right, because if you drink blood, then your eyes turn red, and you kind of go crazy. Because so it's it's, if you drink blood from the vein of a human, if you drink the blood from a vein of a human or an immortal, if you drink blood from the vein enough to kill that being, then so if you drink blood from the vein to kill, yes, that's what turns your eyes red. Correct. Correct. Wasn't clear. It turns your eyes red, and you get like the memories of that person. And you get all these memories in your head and it like kind of drives you, kind of drives you nuts. 
That was clear. Okay. I mean, yeah, yes. <laughs> That's pretty clear in this book. <laughs> I want to be clear just to our audience at this point. If this series sounds intriguing to you and you're not put off by whatever Meg is about to describe from the first three books, I would not recommend starting with book four. You will be very confused. <sighs> so um, the Valkyries, so throughout the lore, vampires are known for being like bad dudes. They can also teleport. Okay. So vampires, when they're turned or when they're, when they reach maturity, um, so if they're turned and maturity, then they are not sexually active. They can't get an erection, basically. <laughs> Their hearts don't beat. They don't breathe. So they're all dudes? Mm, yes. There were female vampires, but there was a plague that wiped them out. And you can't turn women because they die. And here's the other thing with vampires is they can't come unless they're touching their bride. Okay, so what I'm gaining from this is all vampires are heterosexual. Uh-huh. But that this, like, magic meeting of the souls that enables their heart to beat and them to get boners is not... A reciprocal bond so strong that it cannot be resisted by either party. Yes, exactly. You are you have put your finger on like the conflict of basically eighteen books. Wow. Yeah. Also, note that there is at least one instance of a gay vampire. Okay, so just, maybe the yes. ride is the wrong word. Look, the, it's capitalized, but yes. I mean, I think it took her like 12 books to be like, hmm, maybe there are queer vampires, but anyway. Okay, so question. Um, let's say that someone's bride rejected them. Uh-huh. Um, they're then permanently able to get boners. Yes, so as long as you ejaculate while you're touching your bride... Doesn't have to be like in the bride, like you could be a handy or you could be like holding. Is there her anyone who like off. the brides like rejected them or dead, so they like cut off a finger and wear it around their neck? Like, does the piece of the body they're touching have to be alive? It, it only you have to break the seal, so it's only the first time. After that, you can come as much as you want. Thank you. Yes, no, it, it very good question. First book, Nikolai, Valkyrie. Still don't quite get what Valkyries are other than like knowing from North mythology, but moving on. All right, so Valkyries, what happened with the Valkyries is the, if a warrior dies in battle and as she dies, she cries out to Woden, he'll strike her. She gets stricken. She gets hit by a, a lightning bolt and then wakes up in Valhalla pregnant. And then she has a baby and that baby is a Valkyrie. <laughs> thank you for that explanation because i did not get that from the text now you know <laughs> it's amazing and they're all like petite and they have these little pointy elf ears and they're like the most beautiful cuties but they're like super strong they can like pick up they're really good warriors and they can like they each have a special talent, but they also can, like, have lightning strike you when they get really pissed. 
Okay. And they like, you'll like this about the Valkyries. They really like jewelry. So like if they see a diamond, they can be like enthralled. Okay. Yeah. So that's the, that's the first book. That's basically the first book. I'm not going to go into great detail, but it's very problematic. Oh, so the novella is the really problematic one. Mm-hmm. No. The novella and A Hunger Like No Other are extremely problematic. Um, yeah. Okay, no, just, so, so we're, we're through the novella. All we've talked about so far is the novella. Now we have A Hunger Like No Other, which <laughs> is about a half, half vampire, half Valkyrie woman. Is she in book four? Does she have a name? She's the werewolf queen that they talk about sometimes. Okay. Emmy. Wait. Emmy. Emma. She's half vampire, half Valkyrie, and she's a werewolf queen. She's half Valkyrie, half vampire. And her fated mate is a Lyke, otherwise known as a werewolf. Oh, cool. So I saw them talking about Lyke's, but I thought they meant like lychee fruits, and I was really confused. No, those are werewolves, and they're mostly Scottish. Mm-hmm. So this second book is about Lachlan and Emma. Uh, and this book is extremely problematic. I don't have to go into great detail because none of these characters reappear. Um, but anyway, it's about them. There, there's one character who does appear, and it's Nyx. She's, yeah. And so Nyx appears in almost every single book. She's this, she can see the future. She's a vampire who can see the future. And she's like, wait, I thought she was a Valkyrie. Yeah, I'm sorry. She's a Valkyrie, not a vampire. She's a Valkyrie who can see I'm the like, future. I'm like, wait, there is a woman vampire? I'm now lost. Well, Emma is half vampire, half Valkyrie. Yeah, yeah, half, half seas, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Half, they do call her halfling. Anyway. Um... That book is, has a lot of issues with it. Both the first two have a lot of issues. And so Nyx, Nyx appears in almost all of the books because she can see the future. She's like the meanest, nastiest matchmaker of all time. I was going to ask, it seems like her future seeing abilities are largely tied up in like matchmaking and sort of knowing the relevant facts from the past. Yeah, I mean, it's not... She's supposed to be able to see all future and stuff like that, but these are romance novels, so mostly ends up being about mates. Got it. So, next question. You said dude from the first book, Lachlan, whatever, uh, werewolf. Chickadee is a vampire slash Valkyrie. So, Mm -hmm. none of these people have supernatural erectile dysfunction. Correct. Do these species have mates? Like, is there a... Good question. Valkyries don't have mates. However, werewolves do, like they do. Okay. So he sends her and he's like, she's my mate. And then he's got to convince her to be with him. Like so I said... similar to vampires, there's not like a bond that is irresistible. It is a resistible bond. I was going to say. Mm-hmm. he can ejaculate without her. Yes, and he has for thousands of years. Right. Well, before the 400 years where he was in prison, and I hope he wasn't jacking off then. I mean, he couldn't. He was, like, bound. Right, that's what I mean. Spread eagles. He was on fire. And on fire, yeah. He had to, like, grow his dick back. It's hard to ejaculate in those circumstances. I mean, seriously. 
So okay, so that's that's book two. Um, book three is about Katerin and Sebastian. So Sebastian, as in his brother, Sebastian Roth, the vampire, okay. Estonian vampire, who yes. was turned against his will. So he yes. got turned into a vampire. I kind of like Sebastian's book. I have to admit, he's like kind of a mopey little vampire because he like is not into it. And he was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe you turned me into this like horrible creature. I don't want to suck anyone's blood. So he just stays in his castle for three or 400 years, reading books and like moping around. (laughs) What does he do for blood? He doesn't, he doesn't eat anything. He just like stays in his castle. I'm not kidding. So if they don't eat, they don't, like, desiccate or anything. They just, like, are fine? Yeah. I will tell you that when they drink blood, their muscles get bigger and they get sexier. That's it? Basically. That's the only difference between drinking blood and abstaining from blood altogether? I mean, you get stronger when you drink blood and you want to drink blood. Like, you really want to. I think he might drink – he might be, like, a vegetarian vampire – I think he might drink blood from like the rats or whatever. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to be honest. That wasn't the part of the book that fascinated me. I have a lot of questions. So Katerin is a vampire hunter because she's also a Valkyrie. Yes. Katerin's a Valkyrie. And a thousand years ago, she had, she was a part of triplets. So her two sisters were horrendously murdered by some vampires. And since then, she's just been killing all the vampires she can, ever. I have a question. Is this normal? Is there, like, uh, is there animosity between the Valkyries and the vampires? Yeah, Valkyries and vampires don't like each other, and werewolves and vampires don't like each other. Do werewolves and Valkyries like each other? They like, they like each other okay, but they're not, like, friends. They're getting to be friends now that Emma married Lachlan. Great. Where did the demons come into play? Oh, they don't come into play until book four. Okay, keep going. Okay, next book is about Bowen. He's that werewolf like, excuse me. He's been mentioned in this book because his witch wife is somehow involved in whatever the fuck is going on with dude McFace in this book. Yeah, she's in New Orleans and yeah, yeah. And Bowen realizes that Marquetta is his mate. Which is weird to him because he's like, I thought my mate was dead. Weird. Also, he'd met her before. Yes. What does realize mean in this context? Well, like, sometimes it takes you a little bit of time to figure out who your mate is. Okay. You Never don't fucking need to know. mind. Yeah. Never fucking mind. That's bullshit. Keep going. Witches and demons are on the same side of good and evil? They can be buddies, yeah. Some demons okay. are good. Some demons are bad. They're like rage demons, or they're they have a special thing. Stone demons, or whatever demons. Oh, this is so it's charmed. So this author watched Charmed. Okay. Oh, they do turn into yeah. When they like have sex, they like turn into like red. So demons, they have like the mix. Oh my god. So demons, they can get an erection and they can fuck but they can't ejaculate until they break their demon seal with their mate. Why? There's no, ours is not to ask why. Just to be clear. The, not ascension. Accession. Mm -hmm. Accession. 
is a once every three century party. How long it's does it last? A, I don't know. I don't know how long it lasts. Let me, you know this what? This book makes it sound it. like it's a fucking meeting. And it's not a meeting. It's, it's like not a thing. A yeah. Okay. It occurs every 500 years. Okay. Thank you. It's a kind of mystical checks and balances system for an ever-growing population of immortals. How long does it last? So in spite of having the lore in front of you, we don't have an answer to that how long does it last question. No, no. And it's going to last as long as this series lasts, Lane. So far, it's lasted 18 books. Oh, so it's already like it, it's happening. Yeah, that's what it says. Did, I'm sorry. Did I not read you that part? <laughs> I thought it was like every, about to happen. Every 500 years. Or right now. Okay, I thought it was a thing that was about to happen, so it's happening. Yeah. So is it like, question, is it like everyone's got bloodlust and like the ascension no. is causing the bloodlust? Or is it like it's, or is it like that movie, oh God, what's the movie where it's like you get 24 hours to murder anyone without any repercussions because we've just decided the law doesn't count this day? They can just do, mortals just do that shit all the time. They just kill each other, chop each other's hands off, throw each other's off, throw each other off cliffs, give make each other get eaten by sharks. I'm not kidding. All this shit has happened in these books. I, I honestly, the accession is is called a plot device. To what are the rules? There are no rules. That's what I'm. Telling but are there you. rules other times? Like what's different about the accession? Supposedly. People find mates and they kill each other more. So is it fate, because like they can, or is it because of no. some like cosmic yes. rate radiation? It's like it's like cosmic fate. It's like fate decides every five hundred years people <sighs> are going to get together and they're also going to like kill each other, fight and fuck. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I hate it. I think that you have all the background you need for this book, though. Like, if you want to read this series, like, regardless of where you start, you just have to be like, okay, whatever. And maybe read the encyclopedia before you read the book or whatever. Yes. You really, like, on it. I know that sounds ridiculous, but if you read but that. I did, I tr okay, here's the thing. I did try to start, but none of the words made any sense. Like, the, the encyclopedia <laughs> didn't have any meaning to me. <laughs> That's fair. I did try, but I was like, none of this means shit. All right. Um, let's read the book jacket, Lane. A raven-haired temptress of the dark. Naomi Lares, a famous ballerina from a past century, became a phantom the night she was murdered. Imbued with otherworldly powers but invisible to the living, she haunts her beloved home, scaring away trespassers until she encounters a ruthless immortal even more terrifying than Naomi herself. A vampire warrior consumed by madness. To prevent him from harming others, Conrad Roth's brothers imprison him in an abandoned manner. But there, a female only he can see seems determined to drive him further into madness. The exquisite creature torments him with desire, leaving his body racked with lust and his soul torn as he finds himself coveting her for his own. How far will he go to claim her? 
Yet even if Conrad can win Naomi, evil still surrounds her. Once he returns to the brutality of his past to protect her, will he succumb to the dark needs seething inside him? <laughs> this is a nothing burger. It's a, a hot mess. It's a hot mess. I think the thing I really want to hone into is the very first sentence says she became a phantom the night she was murdered. And one of the most important things in the text is she did not become a phantom. A phantom, she became a ghost. Became a ghost. A phantom is a totally different type of supernatural being. It's a different thing. But I don't know. <laughs> like... <laughs> I feel like if you're reading the back of this book, you're it be, it deciding whether to pick it up or not, you're already not the right audience. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to pick it up because it's the fourth in a series. You know? Otherwise, I mean, I guess if you're like, okay, ghost, vampire, romance. <laughs> does this sound like something you want to read? Yeah, I don't even know how to, like, tackle the rest of this jacket. <laughs> Like, I, there's there's a lot that's wrong about it, but it would take so much to explaining as to why it's wrong. It's, there's no point. <laughs> so moving on. Uh, as usual, we generated a random number and wrote our own summaries using that number as the word count. And this week, that number was 19. Mm-hmm. I will start. True love is the solution to murderous rage, psychosis caused by other people's memories, Erectile dysfunction and being non corporeal. <laughs> it's so true. I love. I love it. Oh, okay. Here's here's mine. Virgin blood junkie vampire detoxes in ballerina ghost's haunted house. She needs a body so he can get a boner. Yep. The end. <laughs> I love this book so much because it's so fucking ridiculous. I love it. And Meg's summary also starts with our first trope because this is the thing that matters most to Meg. Conrad is a virgin hero. And he's the kind of virgin that I lean I'm very into because he as a virgin due to a pact he made to be a vampire slayer. Correct. And so the band of like mercenary do-gooders he's joined have a celibacy pact until the age of 37. <laughs> yes. So I mean, he, he just has to hold out until 37. And he wasn't he that can... far. I know. That's 37 when he was turned into a vampire. So poor guy was like counting down the days. So not only has this poor guy been counting down the days, then he was turned immortal, and it's been literally centuries. But he, due to just murdering constantly and having the memories of all the people he's murdered, driving him crazy, is just fully mad. Like, the absence of lust isn't actually his biggest problem. No, absolutely not. Absolutely. Conrad has way bigger problems than not being able to lose his virginity. So the book opens with a fight sequence where he's going to murder the brothers who turned him against his will. Yeah. And they turn the tables on him and capture him with the intent of forcing him into this detox, as Meg describes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of come and go. Yeah. But the ghost 
who inhabits the house because she was murdered there is it does not come and go she stays with him pretty much all the time because she is bound to the house for eternity which means there's a lot of forced proximity because conrad is also bound to the house magically he can't leave the property (laughs) okay i loved so many things about this i think my favorite is when his brother's shackle him with his hands in the front so he can shower alone (laughs) yeah like first of all conrad is still extremely threatening even shackled yep second of all i still don't understand how you shower better with your hands shackled on one side of your body versus the other well no definitely definitely easier if they're shackled you're still missing a large portion of your body from being you are you, like, you do miss a lot, but you can like shampoo. You couldn't shampoo if your hands are back. It depends what the range of emotions of your shoulder. Are. Okay, fair. fair. <laughs> but the point, there's still a, a, a large area that is not covered. That's true. Meanwhile, he's like real attracted to this ghost lady. He's yeah. not sure why, because can't get boners and also she's a ghost. Um, but he decides, he's like, I'm pretty sure she's the like my, faded maid of my centuries. But my body just can't figure it out because she's not alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. So. So faded mates, they're faded mates trope. Yeah. Um, and as my s- summary spoils, uh, the solution to literally every problem in this book, but I can also extrapolate in this series, is... The power of true love. I mean, basically. And instead of true love's first kiss, it's true love's first orgasm. I mean, it takes a lot of orgasms sometimes, but yeah. I mean, specifically the vampire's problems. Oh, the vampire's problems? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So uh, we already said that she's a ghost, so she's bound to her property. but. This also falls into the trope of the lady who loves her land, right? I love that this just made it literal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I don't know. There, there are actually a lot of things I like about it. But I really like that she, she was pretty young when she died, but she had actually bought the property herself. So, you know, she's really proud of it. And she's really proud of the decorations and everything in the house. Yeah, the party she was murdered at was basically the housewarming. Yes. The like, hey, I restored this. It's now my dream home. And the fact is, you know, she dies in the housewarming as she's slipping away. She's like, not my house. (laughs) Which is probably how you end up in that house literally forever, girlfriend. Yeah. Let's see. Any other tropes? Uh, So, obviously... There's a lot of mystical whatever elements and deals that have to be struck because everyone in the series has like magic powers and is part of the lore or whatever. And there's a situation where one party has made a deal and they cannot disclose the terms of it to the other. Yeah. And that like, I must keep this secret from you even though I don't want to or I will face the consequences of breaking my oath or whatever. Which we've seen this, maybe not with the supernatural element, but with like, the person who either has a bounty on their head or is dying or right. 
like has a secret identity and no matter how much they want to tell the person they can't tell them or they could face consequences yeah and of course it causes this it's a really good twist on the miscommunication trope or the big misunderstanding trope yeah because there's a reason for it and so it's it's a lot more acceptable as a romance reader you know Especially because she just tells him. So, like, sex to distract someone from asking too many questions is obviously a trope, but it's seldom made as explicit as it is in this text. And I don't mean the sex is explicit. I mean, she straight up says, we're going to have sex now, so you stop asking questions. And he's like, no, no. Well, it has been centuries. (laughs) It's just, like, it's perfect. Um, And... I think we've seen a couple of times where the conflict in the book, or at least the conflict between a couple of the main characters and their figures from their past are resolved in the name of saving their beloved. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, I'll get over, I'll get over this family feud or I'll get over your betrayal of me because you are the person I need right now to save her. Yes. All right. So yeah, this book, it's, it's so fucking wild and over the top. I just love it. I like love this book. I love everything. I love that they chain him. Oh my god! So they they his brothers bring him back to the haunted house and they chain him to a radiator. And then he, he runs out of the house and he rips up the plumbing. <laughs> just like little things like that are just so fucking hilarious. Yeah, so funny. Like he's supernaturally strong. So the manacles, it doesn't matter what you attach them to in the house, right? Like right, he, he needs to it. be sedated, <laughs> right? <laughs> you you can only decrease his strength and ability to cause harm. You can't anchor him anywhere. <laughs> no, I mean he he can't leave the property, and if he had any sense of self preservation, he wouldn't try because like he's not supposed to run out you know, in the sun, because it will burn him. Because he's a vampire, duh. But he's just, he's so far gone, he just doesn't care. So I want to be very honest about my impression of Presley Cole's writing. This is the only book by her I've ever read. Um, It wasn't great. There's a lot of scenes that don't need to be in this text. There's a lot of really weird word choice and sentence structure. And oh my God, tense choices. Both Naomi and Conrad in the first like 30% of the book switch between third person and first person like without rhyme or reason Mm -hmm. and it's extremely hard to read that said she is another author who clearly knows how much content she has how to pace it and how to create the most dramatic effect like her sense of scene is impeccable Mm mm-hmm I've got a lot of issues with other parts of her writing, but damn girl, I like get why people are captivated by this series. Uh-huh. And it's, uh, the thing is, she presents these incredibly wild, weird situations and you just read it. You're just like, yeah, give me more of this bonkers shit. Just do it. Don't ask why, because no. you'll just get lost. But... No, you don't, you don't, you don't ask why. Like, you're not supposed to ask why. You're like, eh, you know, they're immortals. Shit happens. But she she makes them, like, they can be killed, but it's really difficult to kill them. Like, she actually makes it hard to kill these people. I feel like a lot of fantasy with immortals in it, it they're hard to kill. But, like, in this one, 
like throughout the series, you can just cut off your feet or your legs or your hands. Anything, as long as like something is slightly still attached, it'll grow back. Yeah, they can only be killed by decapitation, right? Decapitation or mystical fire. Yes. Yeah, so like, like not even being ripped apart. Like sharks can kill you if there's like a feeding frenzy. But I guess that's decapitation. Yeah, that's, I mean, your, your head gets eaten off as a part of that. Clearly, if like a head and one arm swim away, they could regrow. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's pretty common, except for uh, the vampires can't be killed by a stake to the heart. Mm-hmm. Which I think is pretty, usually, most vampire lore, a stake to the heart will still do it. Yep, yep. But she, and you, I guess you can burn up if you go in the sun for vampires, but they can also teleport, so probably unlikely they would be like, staked out in the sun and not be able to get away. Yep. So I said that Conrad is detoxing. The thing with Conrad is that he's kind of addicted to blood. Right? Yeah. So he's he's a really interesting figure because what happened, as Lane said, he was part of a vampire hunting sect. So even as a mortal, even as a human, before he was turned into a vampire, he spent his life, like, hunting vampires. And so when he was changed into a vampire, he he became something that he hated and thought was evil and horrible. And then as a vampire, he decided to continue hunting evil creatures and vampires. So he's never killed a human? No. No. Uh, like, and that's stated in the text. He's only killed, he's expanded beyond vampires. Yes. But he only kills supernatural beings that he either feels he has a moral right to kill, or even some that it seems like he's just hired to and he sort of wants to eradicate all supernatural beings from the planet. Yeah. I think he's more like, if I'm hired to kill someone, they must be a bad guy. And they're not a person, they're a demon werewolf vampire whatever so like they fall into my list of kill yeah but then the other issue with that is that if you kill someone and drink their blood so if you suck them dry i guess you then get all their memories so simply because he's killing the worst of the worst he's kind of driven himself crazy by incorporating all of their memories into his psyche so his family and a lot of the other vampires you encounter in this book i don't know about the rest of the series have made the choice to never drink drink to kill right they either drink donated blood or drink from people but not to the point of murdering them i think that's really interesting it's it's clearly a part of the modern vampire trend Mm -hmm. This idea that there are other options than drinking from people. Right. Whether it's in a book like this, where clearly the human world is largely unaware of what's going on in the supernatural realm, or a show like True Blood, where like the vampires are integrating into society. I think it's really interesting that obviously so much of the, the origin of vampires was the parasitic element and then the sexual extension of that and that a lot of the parasitic parts has been made if not moot then unnecessary or unrequired right 
it's it becomes a moral choice. Yes. Right. Um, so vampires are not inherently evil or inherently parasitic, right? They can choose to embrace the darker side of their nature or not. In this case, like there's no synthetic option. Right. So it's they do have to feed on human blood, but they don't have to be murderers. Correct. Yeah, they don't have to be murderers. Um, and the other issue is that, of course, not of course, but in this world, um, the vampires who are turning other people, they're called forebearers, as you heard in the prologue. <laughs> so the but the forebearers are a little bit separate from the rest of the lore. So they don't really understand all of their abilities or all of the implications of what they're doing. So since Conrad was turned in the beginning, he might not have understood that by killing someone, by drinking them to death, he would be taking on their memories. He might not have understood that, you know, at the very beginning as a human who became a vampire and then was like, I'm out of here. And you may be thinking, wow, that you think that's a detail you know about someone you just read a whole novel about. I I don't think it don't matters. Ask questions. <laughs> no, you don't ask questions. I don't think that matters in Conrad's case. Um, I look. No one here has great character development. Like you know, he was a person who hated vampires, who was turned against his will, and has spent the last three hundred years murdering supernatural creatures for whatever reason with the ultimate goal of killing the brothers who turned him against his will. But like the actual process of his descent into madness, you know, to what degree the choices he's continued to make over the years are his own or to what degree they are a product of this path he put himself on. Like all of that is question mark. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. That's a good point. Um, I, yeah. It's these are things that I sometimes that I do wish were dealt into more throughout the series because you know why not right? But this is the fanfic theory, right? Right. The more you lay out an intriguing concept, but the less you follow through, the more people can get obsessed because they're writing the rest of it in their head. Yeah, I mean there are definitely a lot of um, fan theories about different things. Right. <laughs> So, all right. Um, so basically Conrad is, he's like a, he's kind of addicted to the blood. Um, and he's going through withdrawal symptoms now that he's not allowed to have it. So his brothers have separated him from like the rest of the world. He can't go out and kill people and drink their blood. Um, he's refusing actually to drink any blood at all. Even the untainted blood that his brothers have brought for him. It was actually confusing to me whether or not he was going through withdrawal from blood or uh -huh. whether he was going through recovery from the stuff his brothers were injecting him with. Well, it's, it's both, right? No, it was not clear to me. Okay. Well, I read it as he, you know, is now he's going through withdrawal because he's not drinking blood or anything, but it's also not just withdrawal. He's starting to recover. From doing I that. think you are giving Cressley Cole more than she provided. So anyway, Conrad is in a deep, is in a dark place. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and when he first meets Naomi, he totally thinks he's hallucinating because 
he hallucinates a lot. And he's also never met a ghost before. No. I mean, not many people have. (laughs) But eventually, he's like, this ghost is just amazing. Like, every time I see her, she, she... he feels like she's bringing him out of his madness. And of, of course, I mean, she is. <laughs> because this is paranormal romance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I, I think the other thing that's interesting about um, the blood sucking, and I, I totally forgot to talk about this part. So it drove him crazy. Because he's been drinking this blood of these bad people. He's, like, drinking the worst of the worst. He's not, like, drinking nice people's blood, right? Because he still sees himself, I think, as being a little bit of a, you know, I'm going to fight against evil. (laughs) So he kills evil people. Um, But as Lane said, there are two aspects to the blood drinking in the vampire lore. One of them is that it's parasitic. But then the other one is that it's also very sexual. Right. And Conrad is a virgin, and he's been like sucking a lot of blood for 300 years well and the entire concept of vampires don't get boners till they're with their one true love sort of removes the sexual like clearly they want to suck their lover's bloods and that's made explicit in this series but it's not inherently like even where blood drinking wasn't sexual in the origin of vampire lore inevitably the victims were like young beautiful women right then that's clearly not the case in this universe yeah so uh, it's one of the aspects that i thought was it was interesting it was an interesting choice of her of cressley cole to make conrad a virgin simply because of that association that we have so just want to mention that I have to tell you that this book made me laugh so many times. I think two of my favorite parts were how Conrad showed his love for Naomi. <laughs> One of the parts was he was like, oh, she got murdered by this horrible guy. And he's upset. It was a murder-suicide. He's upset that the guy committed suicide because he can't go, you know, murder him back. Right. And he thinks logically. He goes, no, you know what I can do? I can go desecrate his grave for her. <laughs> and she he tells her this idea and she's like i'm good she's like that's okay sweetheart and he's like no i'll do it and she's like no no, that's okay but i just love that like he comes also like he comes up with this idea he could they have a fight and he's coming up with these ideas you know how it is when you have a fight with your boyfriend or girlfriend your husband whatever and you're like you're still a little bit angry, but you, you want to have an excuse to go back and see them so that you can get over your fight a little bit. But you don't want to admit that you're wrong. Well, he's like, oh, he comes up with this idea to disagree um, Louis's grave. And he's like, oh, I, I should go tell her. I should go tell her now that I'm going to desecrate his grave. <laughs> yes. And it was just this, like, I just really liked this, this, like, very relatable feeling of the illogic that your brain comes up with to get around your arguments, taken to this bizarre extreme. I love it. I almost, I I died laughing, but it was so funny. I loved it. 
I also loved. So Conrad, he just gets upset a lot and he does a lot of property damage. He punches the wall. He, you know, remember I told you he pulled up all the pipes in the house. And Naomi is like, I have told you that I like my house. And you can tell that he's getting better and he wants to please her because he gets really upset and then he goes to punch the wall and then he like pulls back. <laughs> She's like, thank you. <laughs> Those were both very funny scenes, but I think they get at something in the text. Like Conrad is violent. Yeah. As a person. And he physically imposes himself on situations. And I think there are a lot of, different instances of a character like this that like rubbed you and I the wrong way mm-hmm. and the reason this book gets away with it for both of us is she is non-corporeal yes. so regardless of the degree to which he is the type of character who would kill a guy for revenge or force a woman to endure his physical proximity until she got over her anger or whatever he can't do that with her uh-huh when they're getting to know one another. And I think that made what might've been a very unappealing character to Meg and I in different circumstances, totally like kind of hot. It's so true. There are times I, I actually loved it. He would be being a total asshole and she'd be like, fine, I'm out of here. And she would just dematerialize. And there's even a scene where she's like, I know if he had his way right now, he'd be throwing me over his shoulder and marching me into the house, but he can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't have a body. And it was like, yes, you assert your independence. I, I loved it. I can't, I, I cannot emphasize enough how, what a good choice it was to make her non-corporeal. <laughs> and Lane has not read the previous few books in the series, but honestly, I think this is part of the reason why I liked this book so much was that this like uber alpha character can't do these take these violent tendencies to their logical outcome yeah definitely let's see okay so the the first half of the book is them getting to know each other and they he they're basically falling in love and conrad is like i'm gonna figure out how to make her, how to give her a physical body so we can be together. And then they have this really big fight. He disappears. She's stuck at this house. And I love the moment where she's like, you know what? Fuck him. I'm going to get my own body myself. (laughs) She figures it out. And I loved it. It was such a plot device. Oh, totally. I mean, there is no like organic character development that led to the characters who assist her. Mm-mm. There is no like plot progression. No, nope. or increasing nothing. But I, I liked her gumption. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I was like, like it, it came out of nowhere. But I didn't care because I was like, that's right, Naomi. You find your own body, girl. I did also love that her success in this endeavor hinged on a cell phone battery lasting for over a week. I cannot tell you, Lane. Yes. And I was like, that is the most 2002 or whatever 
2008 thing to happen in this book. <laughs> Look, this is a book about vampires, ghosts, witches, werewolves, and the most unbelievable thing is a, is a flip phone cell phone battery <laughs> lasting for over a week, okay? <laughs> like, honest God. <laughs> I was like, um, this is taking me out of the text. <laughs> I'm just like, I am lucky if my cell phone battery lasts, like, through the workday. Please. Most unbelievable thing in this story was like, okay, girl, you use that cell phone that is literally like, first of all, if even if it lasted a week, that would mean it was at a hundred percent battery when he was using it, which I don't buy. No. no. Nothing is dead, honey. That thing is so dead. It's deader than you are, Naomi. Like, let me be like her electric powers or whatever recharged it. Fine, whatever, but like <laughs> it's not still on. <laughs> And then at the very end of the book, she's just like, I'm going to give ballet lessons to demons. That was actually the one thing about this book that, like, I actually didn't like. <laughs> just because I'm, I, if you're going to do the whole, like, this is a truly, like, supernatural, unfathomable secret world existing in parallel to ours, like, be more creative than, like, this is how they settle down. <laughs> Like, if I, I want to read about, like, fucking demons and witches, I don't want to read about, like, well, what type of baby will your inner species whatever make? And how do you have a dance school? Like, go to that weird Bacchanal. That's what oh, I want. I'm, That's not, I want that stuff. I don't want the, like, fake real life. I'm sure they still will. The one thing I didn't like about this book is that, so Naomi gets this new body and... One of the things with her body is that she's going to die soon. It's not like an immortal body when she gets it. She's back to being very mortal and very mortal with a quickly approaching expiration date. Yeah. And Conrad is like, I love you. Let's get married. Because he's the most, you know, he's the most, he's the kind of virgin hero who's the most virgin, virgin hero ever. She, you know, (laughs) blooded him. And now he wants to be with her forever. He wants to get married. And she won't agree to marry him because she's going to die soon. And I'm like, but that's the point of marriage is till death do us part. There's no guarantee when you read your wedding vows that you're going to live for a really long time forever with someone. Like, just say yes. You're in love with the dude. You you became corporeal for him. (laughs) You know, don't waste it. Just get married. I can't point to that as the one thing that didn't make sense. <laughs> I didn't say it didn't make sense. It's the one thing that bugged me. <laughs> Fair. I just like, did I find it to be logical? No. Did I also want to be like, girl, what are you doing? Yes. <laughs> I did not understand the choices that anyone in this book made at any point. I don't know. I would totally play 21, play blackjack with a, you know, hot vampire stuck in my house that seemed logical to me okay uh content warning it's, it's, it's violent there's very violent a lot of people get killed there are limbs that are lost people yeah, get impaled her origin story is like she's murdered like this is the prologue she's mm-hmm. murdered by her ex-fiance and he's clearly been unstable and like like uh, intimate partner violence. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not easy content by any stretch of the imagination. And then we can argue 
for however long you want over whether he's going through withdrawal or whether he's going through recovery, but there's an obvious parallel with addiction. Yes, definitely. So, I don't know. Anything else? Again, I think he's like a He-Man in ways that, in a book that had a more fleshed out character or where she had a body would bug me. But those two things combine to make it so I don't really think there's a content warning here. Yeah. Okay. Now on to the sexiness portion of this book. Okay. So we've really harped on the whole she doesn't have a body thing. Mm-hmm. And he can't get an erection until she has a body thing. And like mm-hmm. those issues are not resolved for a good long time beyond the halfway point of the book yes and this book is extremely sexy from the jump again let me repeat what lane just said she has no body she can't (laughs) feel anything she can't get an erection and they still manage to like there's one of the sexiest scenes like he's drinking whiskey she's dancing for him doing some ballet dancing and then they like basically have phone sex although they're in person right and that doesn't even get out the shower sex scene that occurs before that oh my god it's true i i don't know i don't like say whatever you want about chris nicole's writing she knows how to write some sexy stuff i mean the this Sex scenes, once they have the ability to touch each other, are still hot. But I think it might be a testament to how good the early ones are as the book gets less sexy once he has a boner and she has a body. Well, the okay. So they have this whole they have this whole thing and it's like all in hypotheticals, right? What would you do if there was someone who was with you right now? Well, if I were with someone, I would like it if he did this. And then if he did that, you know, and because they go through this hypothetical situation, when they do have sex, he knows what to do. And I was like, oh, my God, Cressley Cole figured out how to do the virgin hero thing without making it too much of a sex lesson thing. Or without him just being a prodigy in bed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just also, the other thing is, too, he knows that he's a vampire and is, like, super strong. And he knows that she's a human and more fragile. And so he's so worried about hurting her. I Personal, I'm just a little over the, like, let's figure out how to make him fit thing. Yes, that part. I think that's where, like, it didn't bother me, but I think that's where I'm saying, like, the, the almost was hotter than the execution here. Yes, except the first time, the first time he doesn't even, there's no penetrative sex. Yes. And it's super sexy. And he's all like, oh no, I came like too fast. And she's like, don't worry, buddy. He's like, we have all the time in the world to figure this out. And I was just like, oh my God, loved it. But I think you can count that as like the almost being better than. That's, that's fair. I, I also love that Naomi is experienced and he's like so did you like having sex and she was like yeah and if I didn't I made sure the next time I did (laughs) 
I was just like, oh my God, I love you, Naomi. I thought the choice to have her be that sexually liberated, but have never had sex with the fiance who murdered her was interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I think it was interesting. It didn't feel out of character. Because it felt like she was in control of her sexuality. And that, I mean, you understand from the get-go that, number one, they were engaged, but she broke it off. And number two, that she, um, it was more of a status or prestige thing to get married to him. And she decided that that wasn't even worth it. Yeah. Right? So, wasn't it? I thought it was interesting because he said, Conrad says to her, basically why didn't you have sex with him and she gives the like well you know why would he get the cow if you give him milk for free and i thought that was a really like sex shamey way of phrasing it for a character who's so sexually liberated yeah i mean she was in the when was this 1920s right yeah when she lived and died and i think it I think it was more a testament to the relationship than it was to her feelings about sex. I think her choice not to have sex with him, I totally agree with you. Yeah. But I think the, you know, well, I hold out because if I wanted him to marry me, why would I have sex with him? Was just like, I I, I didn't think that statement was in character. Yeah. But anyway, I don't know. The the non-corporeal sex scenes were like so hot. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and again, he can't get a boner. She can't have an orgasm. And yet, still really hot. They can't kiss. Yep. He's like, I kind of feel an electric kind of situation going around. And know. this is coming from the queen of where are the hands? Didn't yeah. matter. <laughs> she didn't have a body. So he couldn't touch her and she couldn't touch him. And yet here I am being like, no, this worked. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is that the hands were described where they would have been. <laughs> yes. It's very well described. <laughs> they weren't actually anywhere because it didn't exist. But the theory of the hands. <laughs> the theory of the hands was was perfect. So anyway, is this a perfect book? No. Is it wild and fun? And like, what the fuck did I just read? But I finished it in three hours? Yes. I think my only hesitance in recommending this book is I do think it's solidly the middle of a series. And I don't think you recommend reading the beginning. So definitely just keep that. Like how good are, how okay are you with starting in the middle of something? Because if the answer is not at all, you might struggle a little. Yeah. So I personally can't, I really can't recommend starting at the very beginning of the series. Um, That said, this is a very, very popular series. People really, really like it. Judge for yourself whether or not you want to to start there. You know, read the content warnings. Um, I'm sure there's a ton of criticism out there that you can check out and decide for yourself. Um, I don't know. I mean, Sarah McLean has a whole podcast that started because she was recapping this series. So, you know. So whether you decide to start here or you've made it through the first four books in the series... This one is hella fun. <laughs> it is the only one um, that we're going to be featuring on our podcast because I just don't think Link could handle 
the rest of it. I mean, there are certain books that she could handle, but they would be like, I, I was like, this one at least is kind of at the beginning. <laughs> so by the time we get to book like 12, she'd be like, nah. I'm done. Meg and I recorded her explaining to me what the fuck happens. And I've inserted some of that conversation here. But at this point, this recording is at 45 minutes. And that recording was longer. It took mm. more time for Meg to get me to a place where I could read this book than recapping this book took. That's true. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet at Platris. We're on Instagram. Uh, Goodreads, and we have a WordPress site with a backlog of all of our episodes.